Good morning. So good to have you with us this morning. I know we have a lot of people that are traveling. This is vacation time of year, but so good to see you all here this morning. And if you're vacationing and visiting with us, we are welcoming you this morning and hope that you will stay around afterwards, give us a chance to meet you. And also, we invite you to join us for our lunch and open house. Uh, this is the first Sunday that it will be open to you guys and to the public. And so hopefully uh, you'll stick around and and partake in uh, some fellowship with us. Uh, it's an exciting time in the life of the Oldham Lane Church of Christ, and uh, we're glad that you're with us this morning. You know, A.W. Tozer was once quoted as saying that every man is as close to God as he wants to be. Now think about that for a moment. Every man is as close to God as he wants to be. And so you say, well, I, I just want to be closer to God. I wish I were closer to God. Well, if you want to be closer to God, you would be. I mean, if you really, truly wanted to be closer to God, you'd find a way, wouldn't you? Because it's not like God is playing some divine game of hide-and-seek. It's not like we go seeking for God, and every time we get close, He backs away a little further because He doesn't really want to be close to us. No, your relationship with God right now is where you want it to be. And if you're not as close to God as you want to be, well, guess who's moved? It's not God. You look at Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14 and verse 9, it reads, So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. This is in reference to Caleb. And at least six times in the Old Testament, this idea that he followed the Lord his God fully is reiterated. Now that phrase, follow the Lord his God fully, in the Hebrew, refers to closing the gap. It's talking about a hunter closing in on his prey. Caleb followed the Lord his God fully. He closed the gap between him and God. You go over to the New Testament and here's what Paul writes. Philippians 3 and 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying, I want to know my Lord Jesus fully. I want to know him and I want to be close to him so much so that I am willing to be conformed to his death. I'm willing to go through the same things that he went through and I am willing to even die the same death. That's how close I want to be to God. And so here's the question for you. How close do you want to be to God? Because your current situation is determined by you. Every man is as close to God as he wants to be. And so if you really want close, intimate, personal relationship with God, then that's up to you. How close do you want to be to him? Are you serious about closing the gap between you and God? You know, in Scripture, we find people that wanted to be close to Jesus. We find people that wanted to close that gap between them and Jesus. So much so that we read about accounts where Jesus had to get in a boat away from the shore to teach to the people because the mob or the crowd was threatening to engulf him. Now, this crowd didn't necessarily want to be close to Jesus because they wanted a spiritual relationship with him. Some of them just wanted to be close to him because they wanted to hear what he had to say. They were curious, or maybe they wanted to be fed. 
They wanted to see a miracle. Some of them, like the Pharisees, wanted to condemn him. But we see this crowd of people over and over again wanting to get close to Jesus. And it seems, at least at first glance, that the people, although they wanted to be close to Jesus, Jesus didn't necessarily want to be close to them. Think about it. In John chapter 6, Jesus gives that I am the bread of life sermon. You eat my uh, flesh, you drink my blood. Remember that sermon? And it says that the people turned away. That that mass or that crowd that were following him, many of them turned away and were no longer following him. In John chapter 14, we see another crowd and we see Jesus laying it on the line, telling them, if you do not hate your own father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and your sisters, yes, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Anyone who is not willing to take up his cross and follow after me cannot be my disciple. And you know what we see? We see people that didn't follow anymore. In Luke chapter 9, a man runs up to Jesus and says, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, well, come on. No, actually, he doesn't say that. He says, the foxes uh, have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another man comes up to him and says, Jesus, I will follow you. Just first let me go back and tell my family that I'm leaving. And he says, no one, after putting his hand to the plow, And looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So which is it? Does Jesus want people to follow him or not? Because it seems like every time he had a crowd, Jesus became skeptical. Jesus kind of pushed them away. That he didn't seem to want a relationship. But we know that's not true. Of course Jesus wanted people to follow him. But here's the deal. You can't follow Jesus on your own terms. That's what he was trying to get across to the people. If you're going to follow me, this is what it's going to require And this is not something where you get to call the shots. You follow me on my terms, or you don't follow. You know, I have a GPS in my vehicle. And apparently, it is the latest and greatest. It's supposed to be state-of-the-art, although it's probably probably not now. Those things become obsolete within a few months, right? But I have this GPS in my vehicle, and I've got to tell you, I don't have a lot of talents or abilities, but one thing that I think God has blessed me with is I'm pretty good at direction. I can pretty well find my way anywhere. And as a result, I don't trust my GPS. This GPS has been wrong just as much as it's been right. Not long ago, I was going to New Mexico. I was going to a place that I hadn't been, and I typed in the coordinates, and my GPS took me right through the middle of Lubbock. I hit every traffic light in Lubbock. And I'm thinking to myself, why are you doing this? Just last two weeks ago, we went to Destin on vacation, And it took me through every toll booth that there was in Florida. Apparently, that was the fastest way, but when you sit in line to pay a toll for that long, it's probably not fast anymore. I don't trust my GPS. A lot of times, I use it as a safety net. It's just there in case I need it or in case I get lost. Otherwise, I feel like I know where I'm going. Every time it tells me where to go, I think to myself, well, that's probably not right. That doesn't seem right. And there are people like that when it comes to following Jesus. There are Christians that are that way when it comes to following Jesus. Jesus is there as their safety net. He is their compass or their GPS only when they need to get out of trouble. Otherwise, they want to follow their own way. They want to call their own shots. They want to make their own path. It is so hard for us to truly listen and trust the one who is leading us. But that's what discipleship is all about. 
My dad, as some of you know, is a pilot. And one time he was flying some executives to Memphis, Tennessee. And as they were leaving out, there was zero visibility. The fog was so dense that if you looked out the window of the airplane, it looked like somebody had draped a white sheet over it. You could not see it all. And so the plane was on automatic pilot. And my dad said that as he sat there and let the plane fly itself, it would tilt a little bit to the left and make a turn to the right. And he was certain that the plane was going in the wrong direction. And he said, I resisted every urge not to turn off the automatic pilot and just take the wheel. He let it run its course, and after a little while, they were out of the fog, and sure enough, they were right on track. Exactly where they needed to be, heading in the exact right direction. He said, based on my inner compass, if I had taken over, we would have crashed. So many of us have this anxiety about letting God lead or letting Jesus lead the way, and we think, well, we know better. We know the right way. I mean, is this really the right way? We're thinking we've got to recalculate the route because surely Jesus is not leading us in the right direction. Or sometimes we believe that he is, but we don't like the direction he's going. When the terrain is rugged or when we're going uphill or we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't like that direction. We want to forge our own path. We want to be our own compass. But this is not about where we get to go or what we get to do. This is about him leading us. At this point, you may be asking yourself, so what in the world does all this have to do with fellowship? I mean, if our word for the week is fellowship, if we're doing the one word study and the word for this week is fellowship, where does all of this come into play? Well, here it is. Fellowship begins with fellowship. And I realize that's not a word. I made it up, so you don't have to tell me. Fellowship is about closeness, it's about participation, it's about sharing, it's about, it's about coming together, but not just for worship or a meal. It may surprise you that fellowship is not Greek for potluck. Fellowship is not something that you do. And that's something we have to understand. We always think of fellowship as an event. It's not. Fellowship is something you have as members of Christ's body. As Christians, you have fellowship. It's not something you do. Look at 1 John chapter 4. Beginning in verse 11, it reads, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Does all that sound like fellowship? It should, because that's what it is. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Fellowship with God 
and fellowship with the brethren are one and the same. You've heard me say that before. If we abide in God, God abides in us, and that's the essence of fellowship. That's what John is talking about here. I mean, the overarching theme is fellowship. You have fellowship with God, and therefore you have fellowship with the people he created. You have fellowship with God, and being a part of the church, being in fellowship with God, is all about our salvation, right? You can't have salvation if you're not in fellowship with God. And so you're in fellowship with God, and therefore you're in fellowship with those who are also saved, who are also a part of the body of Christ. You go back to chapter 2 of 1 John, and notice verses 3 and following. It says, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. This is a description of fellowship. Fellowship with God. Now skip down to verse 9. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Being in the light means being in fellowship. If you're in darkness, you're out of fellowship with God. You're out of fellowship with the brethren. Hatred puts you in the dark. And darkness is symbolic of being outside of Christ. If you're walking in the light, then you're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. You're a true follower, a true disciple, and you have fellowship with Christ. But if you're walking in darkness, you're stumbling and fumbling around in the dark. You're not following the Lord. You're lost. You're outside of fellowship. And I don't mean this to be a sermon about loving your brother or your sister in Christ. That's not really my intent this morning. But I do think it's worth noting that my standing in the family of God is directly related to my level of love for the brethren. I cannot hate what God loves. I cannot come and worship a God I love while I hate the brethren or while I hate someone who is in the pew with me. It doesn't work that way. Fellowship with God equals fellowship with one another. I cannot hate what God loves and be in fellowship with God. John makes that very clear. And you wonder, why did John write this? What is his purpose for writing this? You know, all this year, we've been talking about better Bible study. And one of the first things that we have to do is that we have to look at the implication. We have to look at the cultural context, and we have to see what is the original audience hearing? What is the writer trying to get across to the original audience? And then, of course, we can go into what is, the, what is the application for us? What's the principle that we need to come away with? So why did John write this? Think about why did Paul constantly speak about unity? And why did he constantly mention those one another's throughout his epistles? Why did Jesus pray that we all might be one in John chapter 17? Is it so that we could share potluck meals together? Was that the purpose? Is it so that we could have a competitive softball team at church? Is it so that we wouldn't experience a church split? I want you to notice Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says, go. 
Go and obey all the things that I've commanded you. And not only that, teach others to obey all that I've commanded you. At the time Jesus gave these instructions, the original audience was 11. 11 apostles. And he's sending them out to carry out the Great Commission. What I glean from this, among other things, is you can't do this on your own. You can worship God on your own. You can be evangelistic on your own. But you need other Christians with you. In order to make it through this life, in order to support and encourage you to share the gospel at times, yes. But you need the brethren. You need them working alongside you, building you up, lifting you up, picking you up when you fall, helping you to obey those things that Jesus commanded. And of course, getting the message out to others. That's what the church is all about. We tend to think of church as a building that you go to twice a week and an agreed upon time, right? But think about this. Think about if you were to get into a time machine and travel back to the first century and you're walking down the dusty streets of Jerusalem and you happen to bump into Peter and you say to Peter, hey, Peter, uh, where's the church? What do you think he'd tell you? Well, just go down a few blocks and take a left at 777 Jerusalem Way. Well, that's not what he'd say. The church was the people. It wasn't a physical address. And the church exists in large part as a fellowship of Christians who work together to accomplish the Great Commission. We have got to get out of this mindset that the church is a place that we go to. You're the church. We assemble together in a great building so that we have some amenities that allows us to come here and to be cool when it's hot outside or to be warm when it's cold outside and to gather in comfort, to worship God. But we are the church when we leave here as well. Now granted, all too often, we think of church as something, as I said, that we go to. But if you look at the book of Acts, you see something very different in the description of the church. For instance, look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 43. It reads, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you notice some key fellowship words and phrases there? You see, together, all things in common, sharing, having favor with all the people. You go over to Acts chapter 4. Verse 32, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon all them. For there was not a needy person among them, for all were owners of land or houses and would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Notice again, one heart, one soul. No person had anything that was a need. Everyone was on the same page. It was a family, a family that was on a mission. Peter stated, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
I can't do this by myself. There are some things that I can do on my own, but God never expected you or I to practice Christianity on an island. He never expected us to be isolated in our daily walk with Him. We need each other. I need you. And hopefully you think that you need me because you do. We all need each other. We are all in this together. When the world looks at us and sees people that are a family, loving one another, giving to one another, bearing one another's burdens, building up one another, confessing their sins to one another, praying for one another, it causes the world around us to stop and say, that's weird. Because the world around you, in case you haven't noticed, is so fractured. It's so divided. There is so much turmoil in our world right now based on politics, based on race. You look at colleges and universities are divided. You look at the social construct in our world today. There's so much division. And when people can see people coming together and loving on one another and building one another up and supporting one another as a family should, they look at that and they say, well, that's different. And maybe it causes them to investigate a little further. Maybe it causes them to want to be a part of this family and have what we have. I think unity is a huge draw because our world is so disjointed. There's division everywhere. And yet, we have something incredibly unique to offer. You realize that? I said that last week. There is no other place on earth that can offer what we have. And you think about this. You think about how we have togetherness and, and sharing and all things in common and in favor with all the people, you know, just like they did in Acts. If we can be that, the people around us will see it and they can't help but notice. They may not want any part of it, but they can't help but notice. Our fellowship can be a huge evangelistic tool. Because of your fellowship with me and your fellowship with one another, you have something distinct and beautiful to offer the world. When people look at the church, they get a front row seat to view the amazing grace of God. Remember Jesus' words concerning fellowship in John chapter 15. He said, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. The world doesn't have the first clue about love. Our world doesn't know what love is. And so when they see a Christian family living it out and displaying it, they can't help but take notice. It piques their interest. But notice what Jesus says about this love. This is a love that we have for one another, that we, we lay down our lives for each other. We're willing to go the extra mile. We're willing to do whatever. That'll get your attention, won't it? That'll certainly get the attention of people in the world. A love like that will definitely turn heads you know, I regularly come in contact with people who are searching for something better in life. Maybe you do as well. Our TV program has opened up some doors that I see people in everyday life that I would never probably get to see. They're not interested necessarily in walking through these doors. 
Maybe they will someday. But I get to see them where they're at, and they'll come up to me, and they'll say, you know, I watch your program. I appreciate, you know, the, the Oldham Lane Church and, and the program that they do. And they're searching for something. And after you talk to them for a little bit, you know what it is above all else that they want? I mean, yes, it's a, it's a God-shaped hole that they have in their heart, and you're trying to convince them of that. Many of them know that already. But you know what they want from a church more than anything else? Across the board, you know what they want? Acceptance. Love. I mean, you've probably heard that. You've probably talked to people. You know, why don't you come to all that? Well, you know, I don't have a suit. Will they accept me? I've done a lot of wrong in my life. I mean, I've done prison time. You think they'll accept me? I'm not the best person in the world. Do you think they'll accept me? I mean, that's across the board. That's what they're looking for. And so our fellowship can be a huge evangelistic tool for them to come in and be accepted and then to say, we love you. And now here's all that Jesus commanded us. And we have an opportunity to teach them the truth, right? You think about how many people have come our way here at Oldham Lane and have said, we're here because this is a loving family. And somebody a few weeks ago said, this feels like home. That's what our fellowship should look like. It's not an event. It's what we have. And it's what we present to the world around us. People outside of our fellowship need to see us loving each other so much that they actually see Jesus. That they actually see through the lens of God. Remember in John 1 where it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You remember that? That's us. That's right now. You realize that, don't you? That's us right now. We have taken Jesus' place in the world. He ascended into heaven. We have taken his, taken his place. God's people, full of grace and truth, are dwelling right here on earth, revealing the Father, bringing the good news. We took Jesus' place, and it is our job to present the gospel, the good news, to a dying world, to a world that is so fractured and so disjointed. Jesus prayed, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Christ is in fellowship with God. He's praying that we be in fellowship with Christ and with God and that we be in fellowship with one another because think of what we can accomplish when we're all on the same page, reading from the same script, following the same Jesus, and preaching the same message. Think of what we can do. Think of how successful we can be for the kingdom. Jesus prayed for fellowship. Fellowship with him, fellowship with one another, that they may all be one. He also prayed for the mission of fellowship. Do you notice that? He said, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Because there is something about our unity that gives validity to our message. We can't go out preaching love and then we don't display it. We can't go out to a world that is so fractured and disjointed and talk to them about how we're family and then we get in here and we act so dysfunctional. We can't even get along and we bicker and we argue over the tiniest of things. Who wants to be a part of a fellowship like that? 
I mean, there is so much disharmony in the world around us. They don't need to come to church and experience that. In fact, they're looking from the outside and going, why would I come there? I've got that at my house. I don't need that. Our unity is a great calling card. Our love is our identifying mark, right? There was a gentleman I was reading about not long ago who was in a gang, had been in a gang for many years, involved in all the gang activity, all the illegal activity. He decided one day to to visit the church, and he, he talked to a preacher, and eventually, after studying the Bible, he was baptized. And he left the gang life, and he became a, he became a Christian. He came in as, as on fire, ready to serve. And after a, a few months, he left. Left the church and went back to the gang. And people in the church were confused, including the preacher. And so the preacher went to him one day and got him by himself, and he said, hey, what, what's going on? I mean, I thought everything was good. Why, why did you leave church to go back to that? He said something very telling. He said, you know, I, I left the gang and came into the church thinking that it would be a family and that everyone would love me and accept me and I would have something that I've never had. But that wasn't the case. He said, at least in the gang, after you get beat in, They take care of me. They protect me 24-7. They're there for me. The preacher thought, you mean the gang life is a better option than, than church life? I guess some people have had that experience. Some people have had a bad experience or have come to church and inserted themselves into a family that was dysfunctional or maybe just unloving. May that never be said about us. I don't think that we're anywhere close to that. I'm thankful to be a part of such a a loving family. And I hope you understand that that our fellowship with God means everything. And it trickles down. It's not just about our salvation, although that's important. It's our fellowship with God that unites us with one another because we all share in the blood of Christ, we all share the same spiritual DNA. DNA. We are all a part of this family, and so we need to act like it and not pick and choose which one another passages we want to live out, but apply all of them to our lives, to our fellowship here, and be a unified body and be a people on a mission and allow our fellowship here to magnify Jesus. I want to encourage all of us to continue the winning streak. We've got it. We're on a good winning streak here at Oldham Lane. And it's when you're winning that the devil is waiting to destroy you. Waiting to disrupt unity. Waiting to to cause disharmony and disjointedness. Let's make certain that we are seeking fellowship with God and allowing that fellowship with him to bleed over into our fellowship with one another. Loving caring, supporting, encouraging one another. This is our family. And it should be the best family ever.
and you're going to spend eternity together, so you might as well get along now, right? Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and for what it teaches us about this vital subject. Salvation through your Son, which provides us fellowship with you and fellowship with one another. Thank you for that sacrifice. Thank you for the blood that was shed on our behalf. Thank you for purchasing the church with that blood. And thank you for adding us to the church. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom. And we pray, God, that you be watchful over this congregation and help us, God, to always seek your will and to use you as our GPS. It's in your son's precious name we pray. you're visiting this morning, you're contemplating what it means to be a true follower and you'd like to study the Bible with someone, then we certainly want to talk with you and set that up. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you're struggling. Being a disciple is not easy. And so maybe you need encouragement. Or maybe you're someone that's ready to begin a daily walk with God. We believe that begins with faith, the faith that moves one to repent, to confess Jesus as Lord and be immersed in baptism for the remission of sins. If you're ready to do that this morning, let's take care of that as well. Thank you for being here. Clinton's going to lead a song. If we can help you, come as we stand and as we sing.